anything's possible though, because you know Bitcoin is money, so you know money talk, man. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, powered by Coin Telegraph. What began as a small experiment is now a rapidly expanding ecosystem. As citizens of the internet, we expect to be able to send money over the internet as quickly and cheaply as sending an email. As citizens of the internet, we demand transparency. Here, we talk about Bitcoin, Ethereum, blockchain industries, fintech, and more. But we're not experts. We're just three guys in the Bitcoin community. And adoption is the only thing that matters. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, episode 117. I'm your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number two, Dimitric. Host number three, as always, Corey. What's on the... Yeah, what do we got going on besides uh, passing up the price of gold and pricing? Let's talk about what really matters. What really matters, Jello? Blasting dumbasses on Facebook. Let's get into it. <laughs> Let's get right into it. Do you tell us about? Let's get right into the tell realness. Us, tell us about this. So, I've had a week off from work. It's been great. I don't know what to do with so much time, but I get on Facebook. And Ken, everyone's uh, favorite neighborhood Bitcoin Viking, is being a Bitcoin virtuoso, if you will. Less of a Bitcoin virtuoso and more of a, hey, I bought some Bitcoin back in the day and look at the price now. Ha, suck my nuts. That's pretty much what he's doing to the internet right now, which is interesting tactics. I told you guys. I told you guys. Yeah. (laughs) I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. And I'm coming up with a My Nuts flavored spray that I'd like for you to use whenever <laughs> whenever you look at the Bitcoin price. But anyways, so there's a guy that gets on there. And uh, I forget his name, but I don't need to say his name. That'd be wrong. Oh, I know his name. Don't say his name. I need to say that. Because uh, okay. that's wrong. But it's, re- it's ready to go whenever you want me to say it, though. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, Ken, Bitcoin is stupid. Stupid as shit. You're going to lose all your money when it crashes again. Um, what else did he say? Where's some highlights, Cello? Should I but just bring it, it up? Because, like, you know, I work in IT, so I know what I'm talking about. That's always a famous one. Oh, but yeah. He's, he's also like, a quote-unquote full-stack developer. Yeah. <laughs> um, Bitcoin, he said, Bitcoin is stupid. You're going to lose all your money when it crashes again. It's not backed by anything. It's not regulated by anything. And it's just a gamble, a hundred percent gamble. And then Ken tags me, and he's like, he goes, "Oh yeah, brother." <laughs> he tags me in on Facebook. I like when that happens when somebody tags me into a conversation, so I can run and do, jump over the top turnbuckle and give him the elbow drop of doom. But I basically tell this guy that everything he says is is wrong, right? He's he's not wrong. Bitcoin is regulated. It's regulated by the code. Um, and it's well, I like how you do it. You say, first, you're wrong. Second, let me tell you why you're wrong. It's, <laughs> my, it's my favorite approach to telling someone that they're wrong. <laughs> uh, at least you come in with a second. A lot of people just stop with a first. I mean, especially on if your first mistake was you're on Facebook. 
and you're arguing yeah. with people who feel like they have an opinion on something they know, they know nothing about. I had nothing better to do, man. I was chilling in my draws. I was like, ooh, this guy's about to get it. So first, yeah, he's wrong. Okay, Bitcoin is regulated. It's regulated by the code. All right. If you want if you want to talk about the regulation I'm talking about, every 10 minutes new Bitcoin enters the circulation. And it enters circulation and it's given to the miner or miners, the pool, that added new lines to the ledger. That's it. That's the re- that's how it works. That's how it's regulated. All right. Four years before now, it was uh, 25 Bitcoin. Four years before that, it was 50 Bitcoin. Four years from now, it's going to be 6.25 Bitcoin. That's pretty regulated, if you ask me. Let's talk about other ways people regulate currency currently. Oh, crap. The debt is too high. We hit the debt ceiling. Quick, print a shit ton more money. And by print, I mean go into the computer that we have in the back and add a couple zeros and then hit enter and then hit save document and then close the program. Did we do it? More money's in circulation? Got it. That, to me, is shitty. But if you want to call that regulated, sir, you can call that regulated. All right? And then he said, you use, there's no process to produce Bitcoin. And I was like, oh, well, that's, that's fucking wrong. I almost wish I had a Scottish accent, accent so I could say, oh, that's fucking wrong, mate. You're fucking wrong. I got here, here, address this one. The waste of resources to create a Bitcoin actually results in a net loss for the economy. Mm. That was tackle hard to wrap my my yeah. mind around. You could tackle that one in any accent you well, wish. Well, a lot of people do have the like uh, feeling in the space. Like Vitalik feels that the the amount of resources spent on securing the Bitcoin network is wasteful, but only because he feels there's a different way to do it that accuses the same thing. As of right now, there's only one way to secure the network from people creating double spins and attacking the entire network. And that's through what's called proof of work. And the only mm-hmm. way that we can validate and make sure that the network runs as promised without having to rely on a third party is through proof of work. So you're spending all that energy for the reasons that people use the currency in the first place. Without that energy, it wouldn't, it would, it would be backed by nothing. Like the network is backed by all of that energy. Because if you want to change it, if you want to try and attack the network, then you need to provide that much energy. And you, then you have a chance to change it a very small one. I like proof of work. Because That's it's right. proof that you did work. And there was work involved in producing Bitcoin. It's not easy to mine. If it were easy to mine, everybody and their mom would be doing it. Hell, we tried it for a little while. It was tough. Man, the computer kept shutting down. The freaking video cards get out of sync. Fans stop, turn off. You got to go in and constantly monitor that crap. Uh, you got to make sure it's not... Huh? Hey, mine got dusty. Yeah, you gotta keep you gotta go in and keep dusting that thing off. It's not easy to mine. So if anybody thinks making Bitcoin is as easy as like, oh, let me just download this program and just run it on my computer. No, like your computer's gonna explode eventually because it can't handle that. And you've gotta constantly monitor it and you've gotta constantly make sure your rig can keep up and compete. Because eventually you are just spending money on electricity if you're not mining well. So that, well, sir. There's also this this concept of your vote in the whole system is like if in mining is proportional to 
to the amount of computational power you put into the network. So the bigger your computer, the bigger chance you have to get, get Bitcoins out of it. Well, the computer that's currently running is the largest in the world by hash power. Like if you were to combine all of the people mining and put it in and pretend there's one giant virtual computer or the Bitcoin network, then that's ridiculously massive, something along the lines of like 500 times larger than all of the supercomputers in the world combined, all doing one purpose, securing the Bitcoin network. So if you think your laptop's going to contribute to that, you're sorely mistaken. It's, it's, that's now become a, a, an industry, if you will. And saying you're going to go industry. jump into an industry with your, your home PC and a, and a GPU, yeah. it's not going to happen anymore. It's like me thinking I can go grab my prospector hat and a pickaxe and go out to the mountain in California and start competing with the people who have been doing it for hundreds of years. They're going to say, like, who the fuck is this guy? One. Two, we've already been in this so long, we have laws to keep you from doing that. So why don't you get the fuck out of here? This is our mountain. But you can't do it anymore. Mining well, is more sophisticated. What's cool about the whole scenario is that you can if you want to in Bitcoin. No one's going to stop yeah, you from hopping true. on and trying or or buying a ton of computer power and contributing to the network. Like That's the difference. There are no regulations or anyone to tell you you can't do it. You're more than welcome to. It's just unless you put a lot of effort into it and a lot of money or capital to start, you're not going to contribute much. And you're not going to make any money. I encourage people to, if they have you know some extraneous money and are curious about the technology, to build a computer or build something and try mining, and just just to get a better understanding of how the technology works. If you're into that, that's the best way to figure out a lot of you know pain points, problems, how it works, you know really get a good idea of, of like the underlying technology if you want to know more yeah. about the back end. If you don't, don't even try it. Don't think about it. You're better off just buying Bitcoin. And I usually I usually don't get flustered with Facebook arguments because me, I feel like you need it. It's like uh it's it's like in moderation, Facebook discussions are good if you can have it in moderation. Now, if you're a social justice warrior and you've got your keyboard locked and loaded at all times to hop in on somebody's thread and tell them why they're all wrong and you're right, then that's a different thing. You should do better things. But if you <laughs> – I got on there, and then the thing that ticked me off was the guy goes, you used a lot of fancy words to disguise your snake oil. And I was like, this motherfucker just called me a liar. <laughs> so I was like, that's it, not. That just simply happen. means he's dumb. Like he did. Like, like I, I described. Like I get this. I get this <clears throat> sometimes where people say I, I speak very concisely because I'm a scientist. Like I, I, what I say is exactly what I mean. There's no point. Like there's every, no. There, there's no like I'm not purposefully using words to confuse people so that they don't understand what I'm trying to say. I'm purposefully well, like, using words like so they joke. can understand what I say. What's that, Shallow? It's like that Kevin Hart joke. I think it was, what, 40-year-old virgin? Where he's like, you're coming at me with these big words, and because yeah. I don't understand them, I'm going to take it as disrespect. So. I'm going to take it as disrespect. <laughs> well, I, wanted, I wanted to talk about, bring up something that like I've been kind of considering or thought about just in general, about humanity. And it, it plays along with like this, this conversation, and it's something I guess me and Cello mentioned and kind of talked about after we recorded last week is this concept of people 
who do something for a very long time and feel like they're doing the right thing and get excited about it, the more they do that thing, there's a good chance that the, the longer they do it, the less likely they are to realize that it could be bad. Like it's going the wrong direction or they'll delude themselves into not seeing reality because if they've spent all of this time doing this thing and it turns out the thing they were doing was wrong or not going to succeed, then it invalidates all that time they spent and all that feeling they had they were doing the right thing. So I'm curious about a lot of people deluding themselves for various reasons, even within the space, like if Bitcoin were to go down, if, big if, I don't know, I don't think it will, but there's always a chance. Mm-hmm. How would we know? Because there's a good chance that no one would ever actually see the reality because we've spent so much time evangelizing this technology. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I evangelize it from a technological standpoint. Like I see that the foundations of why it works are solid. I see how it changes a lot of the things that we do now for the better to increase efficiency and freedom and inclusion. And my thoughts are based out of a lot of those reasons. But a lot of people have just been cheerleading for a really long time and they've made some money and that validates their cheerleading. Yeah, there's a there's a pretty fine line in between those two different types of people. And I'll be the first to say that I go back and forth. I hop over that line because sometimes it's really fun to say, hey, look at the little amount of money I scrolled away and look at look, look at the lot of bit of money it's turned into. That's just a good thing to feel. But then I can quickly jump over to the technology defense because it's very sound technology and there's really no way. I mean, you could say I'm wrong if you spend enough time researching and looking into how this shit works that I have. And I would say that, okay, you could say I'm wrong. Uh, But the likelihood of that is wrong. I mean, it has been hacked. You've got all this computer processing power. If you look at the basic stats, like number of unique addresses is increasing. Coinbase's users are increasing on a monthly basis by quite a bit. The number of merchants is increasing. The number of hashing power is increasing. All these things are increasing. It's not like it's somebody playing a game on the system. It's like, no, this thing is being adopted. It doesn't matter at what rate you feel it should be adopted at. It's being adopted. So as a technology, you've got to start learning how it works if you see if it's continuously being adopted. And I'll be the first to say as well that Bitcoin's going to fail if it doesn't learn how to upgrade itself soon. Because that was one of the things that I loved when I first got a start when I first got started with it. I was like, "Oh man, if something comes along that's better, Bitcoin's just going to suck it right on into its system. It'll be like uh on all those X-Men movies, the one mutant they always want that could do all of the things." I was like, "Oh, cool. That's obviously the most powerful mutant." It'll just take everybody's powers and then the game is over, right? But Bitcoin's not doing that. It's not like it's not a, it's not upgrading, and that to me is a failure because there's other things that are obviously working better. And the Bitcoin community, whether it's the miners, whether it's the consumers, whether it's the people running nodes, that 
whatever comes together to force change in the Bitcoin community, that <laughs> mechanism is failing because we've been at a standstill for two years now in a world where being at a standstill hurts. It, you know, we're used to things upgrading and changing all the time and we're used to them being good. Like even if Facebook moves a button to the left, people are like, oh my God, it's so, so awesome now. My like button was to the right, now it's to the left. I love it. Like <laughs> we live in that time now where people want the constant change to make it feel better. And Bitcoin, I don't think it could stay stagnant for two years another two years and not be considered a failure. Well, there's a, there's, so, a, there's a fine line between stagnation and stability, right? It's like, uh, well, which are we at? I don't know, but I mean, you can't just say because it's not moving, it's stagnant. Like, there could be a, there's a, like it, it works right now. It's, it's providing the purpose that it's set out to provide for the, you know, current user base that it has. And it, it's, we're bumping up against the limits of what that scalability is right now but it's still doing it. And any change could potentially keep it from doing it. Potentially. It's a very small chance, but there's always a chance that something happens that breaks it. Now, the whole point of changing Bitcoin slowly is to prevent that idea and to test all the things. Actually, there's a there's a recent, in the Bitcoin dev um, newsletter, someone came up with uh, the idea of instead of waiting for miners to signal the use of segregated witness, the users should just start using it. And because it's a soft fork and it's an optional, it's, it's an opt-in thing, the miners will still see them as valid blocks and validate them. But if the users just choose to only use segregated witness, then the miners will have to adopt it. It's essentially the reverse soft fork. Instead of waiting on miners to do it, the users do it and make the miners follow. And it has a lot of dangers, but it's another possibility of activating something that doesn't seem to be gaining ground from an outsider's perspective. Like it's hard, it's hard to gauge what the actual support is for the technology. Mm -hmm. The fact that it hasn't been changed for the past two years. We've been talking about it for the past two years. It's it, it, it's it's frustrating for a lot of people in the community, especially ones who aren't looking into it as much as we are. So someone brought yeah. that up like yesterday. What's frustrating to me is um, Gavin brought this up like almost three years ago now. It wasn't very long after I got into Bitcoin. Gavin said, "Hey guys, the blocks are going to start getting full." at this time and it's going to be caught it's going to get to be a headache at this time and then it happened and now everyone's just like uh well we're just going to keep on pushing through it just uh it's very frustrating and then one thing i noticed this morning because i do my daily bit read bitcoin news every morning because i'm a freaking fanatic but anyways even within the community, I've noticed that the temperament has changed. We've gone from talking about, you know, increases in effectiveness to the, the network, um, different bit projects people are working on, like the Lightning Network, and then the, um, you got, uh, was it Rootstock? There were different projects that used to get the limelight. 
But now when I log into most forums, it's just people's names and opinions that are getting the limelight. And that's frustrating. Like Roger Ver said this, and he's a criminal to the cause. And it's like, dude, shut the fuck up with that. That's what I want to say. It's like Bitcoin really has nothing to do with Roger Ver. It's, it's about those machines and what those machines are agreeing upon. It's the protocol. And you keep bringing up Roger Ver like he could do something. He can't really do anything. He's just a guy who got lucky. He's super rich in Bitcoin, and he's trying to help out other Bitcoin companies. But saying outlandish things like that, I don't know. It's really stupid. And the community didn't used to do that. It used to be like, oh, Rootstock, let's see what it's all about. But now what's happened is everybody's got disguised in, or, or not disguised, but diverted from talking about things that are actually going to be a net added value to Bitcoin and talking about these ridiculous tips that people are getting into, which is allowing these companies and things, building things with Bitcoin to operate in stealth mode and just do whatever the fuck they want. When it used to be when you were trying to do something with the Bitcoin network, you had to be pretty transparent. You had to say, hey, this is what we're doing. It, we think it's awesome because X, Y, and Z. Uh, we need you guys to help out. But now it's just like you got Blockstream doing their thing. You've got Rootstock doing their thing. Everybody's doing their thing with no kind of accountability to the community. So I've noticed that that's changed a little bit over the years. Well, Other than that, let's, uh, I don't know. Let's, uh, let's, let's, like, speaking of, of talking about projects, I mean, we try to, like, that's probably why we talk about Ethereum so much, is that there are a lot of projects being opened up, and people want to know about those things and hear about them still. It's that, 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 that mentality hasn't switched over to the Ethereum community, which may be why they're getting so much attention right now, because they're developing projects in a lot of different states, changing things. And um, one of the problems that I've noticed with Ethereum and all these new projects is people trying to maintain all the different tokens associated with each of the projects. And uh, who we interviewed today is trying to find a solution for that so that you can manage all of your Ethereum tokens in one spot with a lot of other a lot of other things that aren't quite talked about, which we discussed in the, in the interview. Uh, Mel Gelderman of Monolith Studios, which uh, I think we should probably just get into now. Uh, quick note, though, we he had some trouble hearing some of my questions. So it's I think the audio sounds fine on my end, but his, his reactions may not be like obvious. The internet failed us. Yeah, the internet technical difficulties. So let's jump into that, <laughs> pick up this conversation afterwards. All right. Here it is. All right. Today we're here with Mel Gelderman from Monolith Studios. And I uh, wanted to talk to him about some of the, the recent projects he's he's working on in the, in the Ethereum space and uh, the implications of them. Do you want to give yourself a, an introduction of um, who you are, what you're currently, like, what you're working on, and, and like, also like a short, I guess, story about how you got into the space, what made you come to blockchain space, if you will, and what particular parts about Ethereum made you, made you stick, stick there? Yeah, sure. Well, thank you for having me on, first of all. Uh, my name is Mel Gelderman. I, uh, I indeed am co-founder of the Monolith Studio. I'm head of internal project creation. I, I essentially just lead um, and decide upon what projects 
we're, uh, we're pursuing. Um, <clears throat> so about myself, it's, it's probably a cliche thing to say, but uh, I've got like an entrepreneurial spirit, right? Mm -hmm. So when I think my first company I started when I was 15, it was in a, an algae biofuel company. <laughs> Nice. And um, I sold, um, um, well, I, I, I set up my own laboratory in, in my parents' house and I, uh, I grew algae, strains which are very um, high contents of oil. And uh, because this was around the time that a research paper was released, which, um, which indicated that algae could be some kind of... Um, alternative fuel source and so I, I set up uh, this thing just out of curiosity and ended up getting a lot of interest on some forums uh, from people who wanted to basically buy my strains and so I set up a website and started selling um, vials of the algae I was uh, I was growing and that you know that, that actually quaint became quite big <laughs> so I ended up getting some uh, I ended up earning quite a lot of money and especially for from my age everything Everyone thought I was crazy in the beginning, but then, you know, when they found out that I was doing quite good, you know, <laughs> they, uh, it was quite interesting. And, um, amongst other things, uh, like I, I remember, I think the peak for me was when I just got this email from, I, I, I always be, um, supporting people with like information, emailing back and forth. And then at some point I was in contact with this university professor from the Singaporean university. Do you want to um, do you want to talk to my uh, you know my my biology class class? <laughs> and I couldn't believe it because he didn't know he was talking to a sixteen year old at the time. Um, I really uh, you know I should have gone for it you know because it was was great but you know it just seemed so foreign you know I, I probably not not even heard of Singapore at the time. Um, but yeah, eventually I. Uh, um, I've always been very interested in, in technologies which uh, you know, promise to change the world. And um, you know, once, once I first heard about Bitcoin, you, know, you always hear people talk about, oh, oh 2011, you know, 2012, I was already in Bitcoin. But I think I first heard about it in 2012 from, from one of my um, developer friends. Um, and, uh, you know, he was talking about this technological thing, which, uh, you know, this digital money. And, uh, you know, I looked into it and it, you know, it does pique your attention, right? Because it seems like such a, um, you know, like uh, your whole concept of money, you know, you yeah. start, you suddenly start questioning, you know, what is money at all? Then, right. And so, um, you know, like, like I'm sure everyone listening, you know, feels the same way that just piques your interest, right? That's definitely been our But as you follow the space, um, you, uh, you know, like at least for me, right. There's this, um, you start reading about everything that's possible. And at some point, you know, some other more with Bitcoin come out, but you know, like at some point you start seeing, you know, you get this feeling that there is a lot more possible still, right. Mm -hmm. So the Vitalik Ethereum, Vitalik Ethereum announcement, I was hooked from the, from the get go. Right. And, um, so around that time I'd, I'd, um, and I think I was living in, in Asia when, um, with the Bitcoin scene there in particular in Taiwan, 
Um, I'd, I'd consulted for, for two banks at the time, China Trust Bank and the um, bank, and I landed a job at uh, this company called uh, software company called DTCO, uh, blockchain, uh, a Taiwanese blockchain company, quite good. And mm-hmm. uh, at the, with them, right? Like, like one of the things that was, um, you know, this was in the early days of Ethereum, and people still didn't really have a concept of what you could actually do with it, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, like it was, you know, most of the talk about what, what can you do with it, right, was about you can make, you know, a, a decentralized gambling platform, you know, which is true, right? But, um, you know, sometimes <laughs> I think uh, uh, people people misunderstand the, the true potential, right? And so what I was doing at this uh, this software company, DTCO, was um, they, they just um, had projects um, with this, um, with this geothermal company, a Taiwanese geothermal company, who had a really like like a special kind of generator which was able to generate energy at lower temperatures than any other geothermal generator in the world, right? And so um, potentially expanding the range, you know, the, the locations dramatically in which you can do geothermal power. But the problem was that they weren't necessarily that competitive um, uh, compared to other um, geothermal, right? Uh, their, their pricing and so what i suggested with ethereum right and this was them was um uh, like like there's this possibility where they like like i said you can sell you can consider selling your generators at half price but but putting on top of the generators some kind of drm which basically has um uh, some kind of smart contracts attached to it uh, which needs to be paid, right? If it doesn't get paid, if if you don't pay the generator, you know it just doesn't work, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't boot, it doesn't run, and you can't generate power. And so now, you know, the, what 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 ended up happening is they were talking with the Chinese government to, you know, like like they could now double essentially the the amount of generators they could sell to China on the condition that they just pay them back over time, right? Which which it's like a it's like a phone. Um, yeah, like a page contract, you go for, right? Where you, you know, you, you pay exactly, exactly. So in the end, you, you know, you can make more money. But um, traditionally, the problem with this is that you know, if you sell a big machine, you know, hundreds of machines to, you know, to a country in which you can't, you know, like it's it's hard to have any legal um, force in it in a country like China, right? So you never, you know, traditionally speaking, you're never you never know if you're actually going to get the money from them, right? Like, what are you going to do if they don't pay? Right, you could have yeah. this. You know, you can attach it to this decentralized payment platform, and have it, you know, cryptographically locked in. Right, that that if if they don't pay, well, then it's it's just not going to work. Yeah, that's a it's a it's a and nice like, guarantee that's not tied to really any particular entity that says, well, if you don't do it, then it's not going to work. Yeah, that's yeah. the end of the story. So it it incentivizes yeah, exactly. people to play nice, if you will. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's like early on IoT, but with like really really big um, machines, <laughs> power plants. Yeah. So how does that transition um, you into into so, Monolith? Yeah. So so um, uh, this industry is you know it's so it really is um, like such an opportunity, right? Like um, blockchain, really, and Ethereum in particular, really, I think, 
is one of the biggest exponential technologies yet, right? So it, it really is on the order of like robotics and AI. Like you really want to be part of that, right? And the mm -hmm. problem with the projects, this project I was leading, the time scale in which they were working, right? This is a, you know, more, you know, one plus decade. Uh, um, uh, and so I didn't want to, you know, necessarily get locked in for that long when, when so much amazing stuff is going on, right? And so um, that time I also met Vitalik, uh, Vitalik at, um, you know, it's old habits die hard. Yeah. Uh, I met Vitalik at um, soft sponsored event in, in Taipei, Taiwan. After the uh, the event, we uh, we went to this restaurant together with uh, the people from uh, some banks and uh, and the the head of Microsoft Taiwan. Um, I just found myself in this position where I was ra raving on about the potential. You know, after someone asked me, I don't really understand what you can actually do with smart contracts, right? Because look, to, you know, it is, it is quite a hard thing to understand. You know, it's like the early days of the internet. Like, what can you do with this internet thing? I heard you can do email, right? But you know, it turns out you can actually do a hell of a lot more. Yeah. Um, so, so, uh, and, and, and Vitalik was nodding furiously at, at everything I was saying, you know, and that was, that really gave me such a boost uh, to start thinking about, you know, like this is the right moment, um, you know, like, and to anyone listening, you know, this, this industry, you know, I, it's unlikely that there will be, you know, if you're here now, right, in this industry now, there won't be a lot of better opportunities to do something amazing, right? Mm -hmm. And um, uh, for me, that was the moment in which I thought, okay, industry now. And uh, so, so uh, you know, after, after ending some commitments I had, I ended up setting up the Monet Studio with uh, with David Hogard, uh, who's a who's a financial expert from the UK, and he's very connected in the financial scene in the UK. And we found a Bebekreshen, who is like a, a remarkably <laughs> experienced um, legacy banker. Right? He's gonna dread that I say this, but um, <laughs> uh, he's he's from, he's from J.P. Morgan. Uh, well, he was from J.P. Morgan, um, uh, director of and head of global derivatives. So that's a, it's an amazing title. <laughs> like yeah. we were quite lucky to to get him on board. And um, yeah, um, that's how we set up the Monet Studio. The like, our, and, and that's our company, right? So we're we're trying to a range of products, right, which have. Um, direct implications for, um, you know, for, for, for regular people, I want to say, right. We're not, we're not, we are obviously targeting the Ethereum community and the cryptocurrency community, but that's obviously not our goal, right. With Ethereum opportunity to create stuff, which extend well beyond, um, the, the current, you know, climates of, uh, you know, you set up a Bitcoin company and, you know, your, your main audience are Bitcoiners, right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And, sure. and, you know, as we've seen with, with big projects in, in the Ethereum space to, um, you know, the goal is to, to get the mainstream on board. And, uh, that's also what we're trying to do with, uh, with the Monet studio. So our first project is, is the token card, um, which is a, it's a distributed banking platform. It originally came around when I was, um, 
to um, Rune Christensen from the MakerDAO. Um, you, you know Rune, right? Yep, we've talked to him recently in the, the Block Channel episode. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, yeah. And um, so we were talking about the die and... Uh, I'm, a, I'm a massive fan. But um, it's, it's this, you know, it's this digital assets which, um, you know, it's completely disconnected from the real world in a way, right? Like, um, it's this, you know, it, it was designed, you know, in my mind at least, to be used by regular people who, who have a need, you know, for people all over the world in all kinds of countries or, you know, the most stable assets in the world. But, you know, how are they actually going to use it, right? And so this is where the idea of, of the die card at the time uh, came up, right? Mm-hmm. So we would essentially issue a card which had the most stable currency in the world back, you know, backing it. And, um, you know, from there on, you know, as that develops, obviously, um, you know, we, we broadened our horizon, right? Substantially, I'd you know, say. From there on. Sorry? Yeah, Some substantially. Broadened, yeah, broadened. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, you just start to realize how much there's actually possible. And so what we've done is, Essentially, we shifted a lot of operations which regularly happen in, in a centralized database, right? We've shifted a lot of those operations to the blockchain, to, to uh, smart contracts. And so it starts, I guess, with a way in which uh, funds are held, right? So, so regularly, you know, and this, this is true for an exchange or, you know, for something like Coinbase or, or um, you know, other debit cards in the space. Or, you know, and in the real world too, a bank, right? So actually, um, like, like what you need to do is to use the service, you need to deposit your money into their control, right? Mm -hmm. And, and this is, you know, this is convention, right? In the real world, this is, this, you know, been done for forever. But, you know, with cryptocurrency, one of the big great things about it is that, you know, if you control your, your, your private keys, you also control the money, right? But it turns out there's this catch 22 that if you actually want to do something, with that money, you have to deposit it into someone else's control, right? And you assume a lot of risks with that, right? So mm -hmm, definitely. You know, sending money to an exchange, right? As has been proven, um, it is just not something, you know, good, right? And um, this isn't really being solved, you know, like obviously um, more security precautions, but it's not like, you know, I, I actually didn't think the, you know, it needs to really be solved. And so what we've done is with, with token card, you don't actually deposit your money into, you know, our control. No, no, no. Instead, when you join the service, you launch a smart contract, right? And you can put uh, all your funds in there, essentially, right? You're, you're the, the, the main owner of that smart contract. It's a contract wallet, right? And there's, there's a whole bunch of features bi uh, built in. Basically, give you... The, the power to control what kind of risks you're assuming, right? So, yeah, right? Or, or sorry, the token card, right? Um, can can uh, withdraw, you know, upon card use, it withdraws money from that smart contract that you control, but only if you've set up the, the proper uh, um, limits, right? So this uses the, um, in an ERC-20 compliant wallet, but, um, it basically means that, um, you know, at the most extreme, 
what essentially could happen is the, the monitor studio could, you know, disappear entirely, right? Token card could disappear entirely, but all the users' uh, accounts would still be right there on the blockchain, right? And and there's nothing we could do, right? Like they they can just withdraw their money and and it's still there, right? It's like uh, it's like having a bank account on a network where the bank itself can't even, you know, really access it unless the user gives explicit permission. Yeah, I had a question about that. So like what I what I currently see this as is like I've talked about this quite a bit on the show and with people that I that I have conversations with is that there seems to be this this giant explosion in ICOs and a lot of these companies that are that are issuing coins and tokens are doing so in a ERC20 standard so that you know you you yeah. understand that it, it's it's usable within the whole entire community but the problem with that becomes the this people trying to keep track of all of the tokens that they've acquired from various projects that they've invested in or gotten from people and so on and so forth. And this seems to be a really nice solution for dealing with all of the, at least ERC-20 standardized tokens um, in a decentralized way that doesn't require you to put your trust in someone else. Although in that same vein, if like by using that, you then get accesses to your services while they're still available, which is which is spending those tokens for real world things. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So so the so the, the goal is right with, with the token card, it's to keep um like to have a a contract wallet where you still remain in control whilst not you losing any usability, right? So um you can have one contract wallet deposit all your tokens, right? And um, find real use out of that um, by by spending them in the real world, right? Or, or um, for example, you could have a, an Ethereum platform also get an allowance from that same contract wallet, right? And so, um, and and then you extend your balance to that platform essentially hmm. through the limitations you you set up for it. Um, so, in a way, um, so so right now, um, if you deposit money into into an exchange, that money is only usable by that exchange, right? And, Definitely. But with Ethereum, you can have you can basically lump all of your all of your money together, right? And have services request to to take money from that lump, right? So you're not going to have to maintain ten different balances at all these different platforms and services. It's all there in one place, right? So it's like turning turning it around, um, where they have to come to you to request uh, for funds. This is um, the this is the the definition and, of becoming your own bank um, that everyone yeah, starts yeah, to try and yeah, talk about is, in yeah. space. And so um, the good thing here is that um, look another thing is what token card does differently than other projects in the space is. We don't assume that a uh, use, you know, we don't assume what currency a user wants to use, right? So, um, user, um, I, I, look, I mean, um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to say any bad things, but, um, you know, for for seven years now, we've we've just assumed that if people want to use cryptocurrency, they have to use Bitcoin or they have to use, you know, another cryptocurrency. There's a reason but, for that, um, and that's with because. Token card, I want to I want to butt in. It's, it's because up until now, or up until just now, or recently, or in the near future, it's been the the easiest way to get on and off 
um, from fiat to cryptocurrency. So it's 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 become like almost the standard because of the on ramps and off ramps that are available in Bitcoin. But as we're seeing yeah. with projects like this, uh, that's no longer becoming the case. Yeah, yeah. We want to give people the the financial freedom to to, to choose whatever assets uh, is essentially available in the Ethereum blockchain, right? So whether mm -hmm. that be you know Digix Gold or or a fiat denominated token issued by a bank on the Ethereum blockchain or Ether itself, right? Or some other crazy app coin. We we're not we don't want to um you know we don't want to give them these crazy benefits of of cryptocurrency, but then force them to use an asset that that is just not desirable for their particular you know needs. Mm -hmm. Um, and so um, recently we announced the uh, the Digix uh, partnership we have. The, um, you know, like, like it's a good thing because we can now essentially target people who, um, who don't understand cryptocurrency, right? But they do understand gold. And that's a very, it's a very, very large market. And the, the benefit is that we make it really easy for them, right? Like, like to, to use uh, these digital assets in the, in the, in the Ethereum space, it now, it now becomes really easy because like some of the partnerships we're, we're pursuing do this. Um, uh, say you're using a platform like uh, Singular or, or First Blood or whatever. Um, uh, if you want to read the benefits of the profits you've, you've gained from those platforms, right? And they're, just to be clear, they're targeted at the, the mainstream, right? You would also have to other thing, things about how to use cryptocurrency. So you would have to, for example, right now, withdraw from the platform then send it, you know, create an account in exchange, send it there, add market or something, you know, which, which you know, for a lot of people is, is a very foreign concept and then withdraw it to a bank account to, to find real use of it. And with token card, we really want to, um, these platforms by giving them incredibly easy, um, uh, user experiences, right? Like very, very simple, buying the, the process that a user has to go through, right? So, so for example, inside one of these Ethereum platforms could just be a button, you know, apply for token card, and you know, they, once they get their token card in, they they know that uh, any money they get from that platform is available for use in the real world, right? Token card, you know, with, with because without that mainstream adoption of of um, of of you know blockchain and, and Ethereum projects. It's just going to be quite hard, right? Definitely. Uh, there's a there's a, a glaring, I don't want to call it a problem or or issue. It's more of a, of a question that I think most people will have, is that say for instance I I put some tokens that I have from a given platform on the Ethereum space onto the token card, and I'd like to use those in the real world. How does your platform? give the evaluation of that token? Where are you pulling the, the like, I guess, real world exchange rate for that token so that I, yeah. I, I feel yeah. that the evaluation is on par with what it should be? Yeah, yeah. So what happens is, um, what we're doing is uh, the cards that are issued, right? The, the debit cards that are issued to people are, use a special kind of mechanism called a zero balance uh, configuration. Which means that we actually keep the, the debit cards completely, you know, their, their balance is always zero, right? Mm -hmm. 
And so upon a user swiping their card in the shop, what happens is um, we get an, IPA call, uh, an API call from Visa. And we basically check if uh, the user's particular smart contract that is linked to that card has uh, a sufficient balance and, and he allows us to withdraw it right through the, you know, through the allowance function, right? That we have um, sufficient authority to actually access that, mm -hmm. that amounts. And then uh, what we do is check the market rates, right? Which, which initially will just be done from, uh, from our exchange bots, right? Um, but later it could be done through oracles, right? So mm -hmm. um, to, to keep that decentralized and honest as well, right? We want that to be as transparent as possible. Definitely. And uh, then we, we basically withdraw that amount. So, so we only actually ever withdraw any tokens from the user smart contract at the time of, uh, of uh, you know, uh, use of the card. Balance is completely effectively held in, in tokens. And oh, just to be clear, what happens then is the moment uh, we uh, we we uh, initiate the the withdrawal from the um, smart contract wallets, at the same time we will load their card, right, their their debit card, with the exact amount that we that Visa is trying to withdraw. So it's like for for a snap second, um, the card is loaded with uh, the amount uh, required, and then immediately again uh, Visa pulls that out of the card. So okay. so uh, yeah. How do you deal with with things like chargebacks or, or refunds and things like that? Yeah, so we can still um, request uh, a refund. And what would happen? You know, I mean, there there might be a slight loss. Obviously, um, exchange rate volatility of of assets on the platform, right? So, you know, if 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 there's a a thousand dollar yeah, it has to be evaluated you know, as a, a fiat cash. currency, regardless of whatever that token happens yeah, to be exa worth. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And so we would just buy um, uh, the, you know, whatever standard token or or the token that we withdrew originally, um, and then send it back to the user, um, which could be, you know, we like like this one of the things. Obviously, we have to look at. We don't want users exploiting this, right? <laughs> so um, to to basically make some kind of derivative or option, right? Um, if you see what I mean. Yeah, that's definitely something that like, a platform out. like yours has to be watched out for because regardless of what your intentions yeah. may be, if someone finds a way to make money using your platform in an unintended way, they're going to do it. And uh, having yeah, yeah, safe absolutely. and fail safe well, for that is, is imperative. Um, that we, we are aware of this. Um, so, at, but but at the same time, right, there are a whole bunch of other stuff that we can now actually do with with our platform that as far as i'm i know are are completely new so you could have you could set up your token card to to do a multi end right where you swipe your card and you've set up your token card to um uh, pay 30% in digix gold uh you know uh and oh, wow. uh, 70% in ether or or you know 10% in dai or whatever right and so uh, in one go, you can, you, can, you can basically balance your portfolio, right? You can either you set up the, the ratios of, uh, in which you want to spend, or you say, I, I want to target a portfolio value that is, you know, 20% Digix Gold, right? And so say Digix Gold goes up in value, right? 
um, you know, and now it's, it's 25, so your portfolio, if you sp spend the card, it would be using just digits to try and balance it back to 20, right? Oh, wow. It would be spending Ether, for example. I, I, it's, it's, it's almost unfathomable to try and think about all of the potential things you can do with a place that has you in control of all of your different digital assets and then allow you to spin them in proportions that you're that you're comfortable with that's that alone is that functionality functionality alone is massive and then things you can build on top of that um to pull those funds is also quite massive it's 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 a pretty exciting project yeah it's um like like i'm mostly enthusiastic about how many we could potentially be targeting, right? So, you know, we're setting our sights not on, you know, the, the cryptocurrency community. We really are uh, going to have a, a massive campaign to push this out to the general public, right? By, you know, like saying that this is the first debit card that is actually backed in gold, right? Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, in any currency you want, right? So, say you're living in, you know, in, in, a, in an underbanked country, like, you know, Indonesia, for example. You know, having a card in which you could be paid, you know, in which you can hold your balance uh, in U.S. dollar, right? For them, that's that's <laughs> that's a big step up from their their national currency, right? Mm -hmm. But no bank in their own country actually offers this, right? Or or gold or whatever, right? And th they can choose uh, whatever they see too. And so the good thing here is, um, simply from a banking perspective alone, we might have this, you know. Um, uh, host of, of, of regular uses, right? And we like can just plug them in to the decentralized Ethereum economy that we're all creating together, right? Where where they can now they get this introduction, you know, without without having to do anything complicated or blockchain, right? They can start using platforms like Singular DC, right? Like yeah. like First Blood or or other stuff in the in the space right and start reaping the benefit benefits from there too right so you're removing the, uh, the the entrance barrier for people to come in the space and use the cool projects that we're making that's a yeah, big that's a big this thing is, but uh, this is what we're trying to do now um, i guess let's let, let's let's talk about something so this is a, almost been lamented to me a few times from people that i've discussed this technology to which aren't quite comfortable with it yet is that they always hear about um, new projects that are going to revolutionize the world. It's always this future idea of what we're going to do that's going to change everything. And yet, you know, it's still difficult to use. We've come a long way, but it's still very difficult for people to use. And we have a lot of promise from a lot of different people on how they're going to change that. What is, what's the timeline of, of these events for you guys? Like, when, do you, when can people expect to get their hands on a token card and have it start to roll out? Yeah. Yeah, so so we have um, targeted at the the twentieth of March. Um, we we you know one of our team members, and you've had him on before, is uh, is Peter Vicenis, mm -hmm. and uh, and his, he he recently started a, a new a technology company called New Alchemy, NewAlchemy.io. We've partnered with them um, to develop the token card technology because. Um, Peter Vicenis and and you know he's uh, one his co-founder is Jared Vogt, who's uh, who's uh, CEO and founder of Avalara, which had 1,400 employees. It's an insurance company, like a 
sorry, an accounting insurance company, something like that. Um, they are ridiculously experienced in develop in in um, leading uh, projects like this, right? And so we've partnered with them specifically to develop its own car technology and get it out the door as quickly as possible and to be implemented as efficiently as possible, right? And as securely, right? Because we yeah, don't of want course. Yeah. we want the, the best smart contracts, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, um, we 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 do <clears throat> we'll likely have our MVP out um, in Q3 2017, um, perhaps even sooner. But I don't want to I don't want to overpromise um, on the delivery date. And um, but yeah, for sure um, we'll we'll have it out by then. Um, we we because the project does have quite a big scope. Um, we will be rolling out uh, different elements eventually, right? So so at the most extreme. You don't even need an app or something to to use this, right? You could like like you could just set up the standard ERC20 wallets, right? The contract wallet that is ready in every MIST browser, and its own cards as an allowance set from that, right? So you know, like the our MVP is is very basic uh, and and can can find integration in any contract wallets. And so, um, but obviously, to to target you know the general public, the use the, the experience as um, um, we're also developing. We'll also be developing a uh, you know a, a really good use experience to go with that, right? <clears throat> that really takes the focus. I mean, one of the things um, we're gonna do, for example, is you know once you launch the the, the app for the first time. You'll go through the setup wizard, right? And it'll be, you know, it'll be really user friendly. Where, you know, you can, you'll have to select your base currency, for example, and you can choose from a list of assets currently uh, in the space, right? And and so, you know, you'll see gold, you'll see, um, you know, USD, perhaps if if uh, your <coughs> bank starts issuing it or decentralized. And that's a dog. Yeah, sorry. Um, <clears throat> right. Um, any other uh, token, uh, presumable token, right, uh, in the space, able to, to be chosen. And, and what this means is, deposit funds into your token card from from the regular banking uh, world, right? So, so you know, going into the crypto ecosystem, we basically deposit those funds once they hit our bank account. Uh, we we deposit those into the token card in that form, right? So we buy, for example, Digix Gold for you and put it in, put that in your token card. So this skips you the like the the need to you know make an, make an exchange account and uh, and do all of this yourself, right? Because that's just yeah, that's, not very user friendly. That's a uh, that's another. I guess that was the next question I kind of had was like going the opposite direction, which you just answered, and it's it's. It's pretty exciting to kind of think about because this has been my my personal issue with the lag and adoption of not only like cryptocurrency but the platforms that are built on top of the cryptocurrencies. And if you have trouble issue like dealing yeah, with correct. the base unit, you can't deal with anything built on top of that base unit. And this yeah, is yeah, it's built as investing. Like people don't want to invest in things because they have to get over that entrance barrier or hurdle. Um, of learning the tech and being comfortable with it. And this is 
not only taking yeah, a lot of yeah, those yeah. those problems away, but doing it in what seems to be a very secure fashion. So, but a lot of these people still feel I like you have to make the trade-off of um, convenience for security, and that's not necessarily the case with this technology. But people still have that feeling based on traditional infrastructure, um, and projects like this are still trying to maintain the. Um, high security aspect of dealing with your own digital life and keeping control of it while still providing the convenience that people are accustomed to with traditional financial infrastructure. Correct. So, so indeed, um, you know, the good thing here is to actually, you know, to, to use all of this, they don't need to learn something new, right? So, so for, for most people, the user experience is just, well, they have a card like any other, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and can just use it in the real world. But the benefits behind the scenes are, are remarkable, right? So, so indeed, um, we're, we're pursuing multiple ways of um, getting money into the, the ecosystem. And, you know, we'll have a, we'll have a blog post out on that quite soon. Um, but, but indeed for us, you know, underbanked countries where, where, where the choice, the, the banking choices are quite poor, right? Mm -hmm. um, that is something we're really targeting. And so what we're doing is in those specific countries where we're basically contacting, uh, let's say, uh, payment processors, right? That, um, that are popular there, right? Uh, that we can integrate into the system, right? Yeah. For those people, they have an easy way. So, you know, for example, Alipay or um, or uh, Western Union, um, those kinds of uh, platforms. Um, or sorry, I mean, I actually mean Union Pay um, <clears throat> would really help people to actually uh, start using this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I look. I look forward to seeing the development and um and blog posts from you guys is how how can our how can our listeners get a hold of you or um get caught up with everything you're doing yeah so um we've we've only just we we've got a whole bunch of announcements lined up and there's a lot of uh, exciting developments um so we we've only you know just started our media train so to say and the the best place would be to follow us on medium.com even though we still need to uh do our first blog post it'll be up um and but just on the website you can see other links uh yeah just keep an eye out we'll, we'll definitely be on the subreddit as well all right well uh, I, I hope to uh, i think that's a great way to wrap up this uh this conversation excluding our our last and final question can you explain ethereum in 10 words or less <clears throat> okay that's a good one <laughs> um <laughs> Let me think about this. Um, so, um, so a technology that allows for hyper integration of other technologies. All right, you and oh. <laughs> so oh. so um, so <laughs> let me just elaborate on that, right? Because that that is a bit nebulous, but. What I think is, you know, like I want, I want, I always want to compare Ethereum to 
other technologies, um, you know, exponential technologies like AI or robotics uh, or nanotechnology. But in a way, I almost feel like it's, it's you know, somehow one step above that still allows um, to be connected together, right? So to seek integration, you know, in the future, you could have uh, your AI, right, manage your crypto assets and automatically, you know, pay for, you know, the, the charging electricity of your car, right? The, mm -hmm. You know, th this, this all will happen through something like the Ethereum network. Definitely. Yeah, so so just one thing I guess we still need to talk about, and I'm not even sure you, you're aware of, but um, our token card platform does have company to it, right? Which is the, the TKN token. And okay. it, it represents a licensing fee. Um, every time um, a transaction is pulled uh, by token card from a user's contract wallet, 1% of that gets sent to... Uh, TCAN holders. So it accrues, uh, and, and it's uh, essentially what they're doing is they're paying for uh, to, to license the technology. And um, what we've done is, um, and uh, this is, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure how much I'm even allowed to reveal about this at this time, but um, we're, we're um, pursuing uh, patent protection of, of, um, um, of, of this IP, right? But, but then we are, um, you know, taking a new, an entirely new approach to how we license that out, right? A bit like the example I gave you in, in the beginning about uh, the geothermal machines, um, uh, like, in, and how we want to have a payment model for for that, right? Um, in a similar way, you know, take a new approach to licensing, where um, <clears throat> what happens is. Uh, regularly, if if you have IP and you want to license it out to other companies, you have to they have to deal with you directly, right? Which mm -hmm. is you know which which can be quite cumbersome. But with Ethereum, you could you know what we're, what we're trying to do is uh, we simply say you know anyone can use this technology as long as you keep in this uh, in this case one percent licensing fee which accrues to the TCAN token. Okay. So it's a it's a new approach to licensing, which really makes it more efficient. Um, uh, this is handled in general, um, and I think that's quite interesting. And yeah, um, what TKN allows you to do is, sorry, yeah. Continue. Sorry. <clears throat> yeah, what TKN um, also allows you to do is uh, if you hold it in your token card wallet, you also actually reduce this, this licensing fee itself. So, uh, and this gives perks to, to people, you know, who are, who are very um, into this, uh, this, this ecosystem, right? To, to reduce their licensing fee even further, making this, uh, you know, an even more presumable lifestyle uh, choice to, to go full, you know, Ethereum ecosystem, essentially. Yeah, you've, you've allowed the, people the, to use the token on the platform for a, something other than just trading value um, while also yeah, yeah, correct. giving it value. And, um, and, and the, the idea here is that we, we're creating this host of technology um, which will allow um, uh, companies like banks or other um, uh, payment providers in the space uh, you know, they can just, we, we're going to open source this technology and 
they can use it however they want as long as they keep in uh, that licensing fee to the TKN holders. So this means that a bank in the future, uh, if they decide to migrate to the Ethereum ecosystem, they can just start using uh, this technology, right? Right out of the box um, and, and just keep in the licensing fee, right? So it's like it's setting a standard. In a way, it's like uh, to um, uh, give a, like a, some kind of licensing fee to an idea, right? So, so in the future, you could have um, people coming up with patents, right, with, with, with new technologies and just licensing it out really simply, right, just by itself. This will, I'll put this into, uh, into words, into a, into a blog post that's coming out soon. So um, just uh, because we haven't really announced this yet, I actually believe. Nice. Breaking news with the Bitcoin podcast. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, indeed. That's, uh, that's, that's how people release their ideas and get paid for it um, and make sure that they get credit for those ideas, both, both um, and real world and in a monetized way is, is uh, really important. And this technology yeah, enables it. You, but you guys seem to be providing a, an actual solution to it as opposed to people just saying that you can do that, which is important. Because this really, um, this really broadens how far your your technology can go, right? Mm -hmm. It drops the the barrier of entry to uh, to using a licensed technology a lot, in fact, that benefits uh, both parties. Oh man! Well, I think I think let's let's wrap it up there because I can continue this conversation for a couple hours. But um, absolutely, for our listeners' sake, why don't we just plan to have you back on when? Um, you guys have made some more some more headway into into getting this in, into people's hands. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, Corey, thank you very much for having me on, and I look forward to uh, joining you sometime soon again. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Mel. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Take care. And that was the interview with Mel Gelderman from Monolith Studios. Um, if you don't know what a monolith is, you should read more about. Uh, mythology and then you'll find out but monolith studios is attempting to basically have a have like a debit card i believe right where where you can use any of the cryptos that you want any of the erc20 standard tokens on ethereum erc20 standard so if you're if you have a token and it's not erc20 then you can't use it right so if you just made it if you if you made it I really just say that. You said maybe stop talking now. I'm I'm done talking for the rest of the show. It brings Visa Payment Network to the Ethereum platform. And like if you've listened to that interview, there's a lot of other things that come from there. So like say you want to you want to invest or you want to like say you want to spend your 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 crypto, but you want to maintain a certain ratio of all the different tokens that you have. When you when you make a spend, it'll pull those ratios from all of your different amounts to maintain the right ratio of crypto you have. So, say you spend twenty bucks, it'll take a certain percentage at twenty from one crypto, certain a different percentage that you maintain from a different crypto, so that you maintain your portfolio relative to the way you'd like to, while still being able to spend your your crypto assets, digital assets. 
and a lot of stuff like that, which makes it kind of like a, a really cool platform for being able to invest in whatever you know, project that you want while still being able to spend that money. And he's Jewish. Yeah. On top of that. So if you're, yeah, if you're Jewish and you're doing a project with money, it's almost guaranteed to work. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Uh, oh man! Let's get into some ads. Right. We're brought <laughs> to you by Escrow My Bits. EscrowMyBits.com. Super easy. I love this. I love this guy. I just love this website. I love this service. All you gotta do is register and deposit your Bitcoin. The seller will then ship the item. Buyer checks the goods, releases the funds. That's the process. And no matter where you are in the world. Uh, they offer Bitcoin escrow with a locked exchange rate. So anyone can use it. Really good service. We love it. Uh, what they're going to do is charge a small flat escrow fee of 1% on all transactions. And they even offer you the ability to split the fee with the other party. So their goal is to make using escrow as simple as possible. Corey DNI, we endorse it. We want there to no longer be any excuses on why not to use escrow. So start the escrow process. Go to their website. Make sure you sign up for their newsletter. Stay up to date. You know the drill. Where you can escrow your shit with escrow my bits. And, uh, and uh, last but not least, we're brought to you by Athena Bitcoin, who just happened to be the trusted name, the most trusted name in Bitcoin ATMs. They're located in Houston, Fort Worth, Dallas, Cedar Hill. I think they're out in Florida, a bunch of other cities. Florida, major Atlanta, cities. A lot of the East Coast. Yeah. A lot of the East Coast. Yeah. I think, yeah. Primarily, uh, really? but you can download the Athena Bitcoin wallet on the App Store, Google Play. Uh, you know what? If you want to know more specific locations, go to athenabitcoin.com. It's always a, a great website where they're always adding new locations. And we're also brought to you by Athena Bitcoin's portfolio company, bitquick.co, the secure, quick, and easy peer to peer Bitcoin marketplace where you can get Bitcoin for cash in as little as three hours. They've been serving Bitcoiners since 2013. So where there's a bank, there's BitQuick. What, what? Dot co. Yeah. Also, if you made it through the ads, <clears throat> I'm going to be, me, Dr. Corey Petty, is going to be giving a talk in the D.C. area, uh, Laurel, Maryland, at the Jailbreak Brewery, starting at 4 p.m. on March 20th. Uh, you want to come listen to me talk about trust and the Ethereum platform and new business models. Uh, free beer, free pizza, good beer on the Joe Bray Brewery too. Uh, sign up. There will be a sign up link at the bottom of this of this episode episode description. So can't wait to see everybody. Hope to have a nice showing from the Bitcoin Podcast crew. We already got quite a few people in this area that show up to all the meetups. We've had a lot of fun talking and. Catching up, talking about things, and catching up, talking about things. Let's see how many times you should, can say that. You gonna have a good uh, show out? A lot of people RSVP already. Yeah, this place is. Like, we we were like last time we did a talk, it, it almost hit capacity. Uh, we expect this one to hit capacity because we're doing more uh, kind of like outreach of getting people, and the last one was so successful. And free artisanal pizza and and craft beer. And then you talk mm. about Ethereum. I also you say a, artisanal pizza. We'll also it have a raffle me... for Nano Ledger's t-shirts, swag, stuff like that. 
So. Yeah, so bring your friends that aren't even into it. They'll be into the artisan pizza and the beer, but then they'll be like, whoa, what's this guy talking about? And but there is limited, limited space, so you got to sign up so that we don't mm-hmm. hit up against the fire marshal. Is the fire marshal going to be there? I don't know. Hopefully. If he is, I'm going to tell him about Ethereum. Bill? Cool. All and right. They can put uh, hey, Corey. emergency. What's up? Before we get out of here, Mark Hunt or Overeem? Who you got? Mark Hunt. Wonder Boy or Woodley? Woodley. Oh! All right. My uh, my choices actually match yours this time. Oh, really? You can't I... make bets this time. All right. Yeah. yeah I, love me, I like Woodley a lot. And Mark Hunt win. hits like a, like a brick wall. So. I watched right. Mark Hunt lose. Yeah, well, I have him this Last time. Year. Well, that was to a roided up Lesnar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no more rules, man. I actually man. saw him in Vegas like the next day. It's crazy. Oh, yeah, you did. Yeah. And he tried to act like he wasn't him. It was really funny. I was like, because he saw me looking at him, and I did that thing where you walk past but look at him sideways like 15 times. <laughs> <laughs> and he finally so saw subtle. me the last time. And I stopped and looked at him in his face. And I was like, I gave him the point, and I, I mouthed, you're Mark Hunt. And he looked back at me and he shook his head and said, I'm not Mark Hunt. And I looked at his giant family and I was like, he brought all his family with him. That's obviously Mark Hunt. (laughs) (laughs) And so then I kind of didn't chase him, but I, I tailed him pretty damn good, by the way. So this is a creepy story. Like you're you're the guy um, that, that that celebrities don't want to talk to. (laughs) No, it wasn't a creepy tale. But I did have shades on, and I was you like, his name to him. Like, uh, yeah, I looked at him. I was like, "You're, you're Mark Hunt. Hunt," and he's like, "No, I'm not Mark Hunt." And I was okay. You're lying. Yeah, he clearly wanted to talk to you by telling you telling you that he wasn't who he is. That's a good indicator but, of wanting to talk. But then later on, <laughs> some some woman just straight up drunkenly like bombarded him as I was tailing him, and she goes. Marco, oh my God, take a picture with me. And you could see it in his face. He, like, probably, if he were a woman, would have body slammed this woman and just been like, get out of my face. But then she got a picture. So then while she was getting a picture, I got a selfie with Mark Hunt in the background. And boom, mission accomplished for me. Creepy level plus just, three. Yeah. Creepy, you know, <laughs> creepiness plus three. It was right. great. Let's get out of here. Are we done? Yeah, we're done. Find us on Twitter. Right. Find us on iTunes. Give us a give us a five star review. We're giving you five star content. Find us yep. on the Bitcoin podcast. We have a shop on purse.io. Come buy our swag. Right now, that's the only place you can buy it because we're too cheap to open up a real store. That's right. We are frugal. So. Um, or you could just send us an email that says, Hey, I'd like a shirt and here's some money. And we'll say, Okay, we'll send you a shirt. Thanks for the money. And we'll get your address, and we'll do that whole exchange. Or a hat. Um, or a hat. Or a hat, yeah. Yeah, I've been wearing my hat all week. I haven't gotten one yet. Send it to me. Oh, shout out to Sweet Honey Crochet as well. Corey, you should plug your wife's business more. Yeah, probably should. <laughs> yeah, I ordered from her. <laughs> probably and uh, Aaron made my Valentine's Day uh, very lucrative. That's you mean your Valentine's night? Ew. 
Yeah, she saved me from being in the doghouse. So go to that website. And I got a discount by using Bitcoin, and it's a quality product. It is a very quality product. She makes some good stuff. Even the presentation. Like, she uses, like, twine to, like, wrap it up and, like, this really cush paper. And, like, the presentation is, like, 10 out of 10. It's really well done. Thank you, guys. Would you say that she saved you from being in the doghouse so you could turn into a dog in your house later? How long? How long you waited for that one? About a minute. About a minute. All right, we're done on that. All right. Okay, I guess we'll be done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, shout out to Zoe Saldana, um, as always. Um, and oh, shout I, out to Viola Davis for winning an Academy Award for her snot cry and fences. Oh, yeah. Wipe that snot, girl. Wipe that snot. Good job, Viola. Um, I also wanted to give another shout-out. Because this person doesn't get as much credit as they should. And her name is Candace Patton. Uh, You may also know her as the chick who plays The Flash's love interest on that show on the CW, The Flash. So shout-out to Candace Patton. All right, well... Wait, 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 wait. Can I shout out uh, a black woman that has kind of like faded into obscurity lately, but deserves a shout out? Yeah. Shout out to Sierra. She used to be hot. Used to be? What's wrong with you? Oh, I haven't seen her in like 10 years. Shout out to Sierra. (laughs) I haven't seen her. Have you not seen her? She's married to Russell, Russell, uh, Russell, the dude who plays football for the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, the dude who's the quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. I don't know. This is going nowhere. <laughs> this is a great conversation, actually. This is gossip talk. Okay. Right. Uh, That's it for me. All right. The uh, play the outro. Candace Patton, you're awesome.